Hello. Welcome to the Bore You to Sleep podcast. The podcast that will hopefully help you get to sleep. I am going to read an open source book, one that is not particularly interesting, but one that is hopefully boring enough to get you to sleep. Tonight's reading comes from The Instinct of Workmanship, published in 1914 and written by Thorstein Veblen. This book looks at the psychology and physiology that contributes to our human workmanship. My name is Teddy, and I aim to help people everywhere get a good night's rest. Sleep is so important, and my mission is to help you get the rest that you need. The podcast is designed to play in the background while you slowly fall asleep. A massive thank you to everybody who I heard from during the week. It means so much to me to know that the podcast is helping you all get the sleep that you need. Firstly, thank you to Shannon for becoming a new supporter on Anchor. Your monthly donation is greatly appreciated and allows me to keep bringing out more episodes. I am extremely grateful also to everybody who listens on Spotify and has taken the time to answer the Q&A. I have heard from many listeners on Spotify and it is extremely warming to know how many of you are benefiting from the podcast. Thank you to listeners that I have heard from on Instagram during the week. Faith Daniels, thank you for your lovely message. And Bala Runs, thank you for your ongoing support. For listeners on Audible, firstly, thank you to everyone who has left me a review on Audible in the past. I have only just become aware that there are ones that have been left outside of Australia. And it appears that many Audible listeners globally have been enjoying the podcast. Most recently, thank you to Dennis, Linux, and TB for your kind reviews in January on Audible. If I have forgotten to mention anyone who has thanked me or left a review, please let me know at boyyoutosleep.com. And of course, please don't forget to subscribe to the podcast if you have not already. As always, a thank you to everyone who supports me on Patreon or Anchor with a financial monthly contribution. I'm ever so grateful for your contribution to the podcast. The podcast is completely free and it is thanks to listeners like you that allows me to bring out more episodes for those who need them. If you would like to become a patron or sponsor, please visit boytosleep.com. If you would like, you can also say hello at boytosleep.com. But I would also equally love if you are able to leave a review and comment in your podcast app. In the meantime, Lie back, 
relax, and enjoy the readings. The instinct of workmanship and the state of the industrial arts by Thorstein Veblen. Preface. The following essay attempts an analysis of such correlation as is visible between industrial use and won't and those other institutional facts that go to make up any given phase of civilization. It is assumed that in the growth of culture, as in its current maintenance, the facts of technological use and won't are fundamental and definitive in the sense that they underlie and condition the scope and method of civilization in other than the technological respect, but not in such a sense as to preclude or overlook the degree in which these other conventions of any given civilization in their turn react on the state of the industrial arts. The analysis proceeds on the materialistic assumptions of modern science, but without prejudice to the underlying question as to the ulterior competency of this materialistic conception considered as a metaphysical tenet. The inquiry simply accepts these mechanistic assumptions of material science for the purpose in hand, since these afford the currently acceptable terms of solution for any scientific problem of the kind in the present state of preconceptions on this head. As should appear from its slight bulk, the essay is of the nature of a cursory survey rather than an exhaustive inquiry with full documentation. The few references given and the authorities cited in the course of the argument are accordingly not to be taken as an inclusive presentation of the materials on which the inquiry rests. It will also be remarked that where authoritative documents are cited the citation is general and extensive, rather than specific and detailed. Wherever detailed references are given, they will be found to bear on specific facts, brought into the argument by way of illustrative detail. Chapter 1. Introductory for mankind, as for the other higher animals, the life of the species is conditioned by the complement of instinctive proclivities and tropismatic aptitudes with which the species is typically endowed. Not only is the continued life of the race dependent on the adequacy of its instinctive proclivities in this way, but the routine and details of its life are also, in the last resort, determined by these instincts. These are the prime movers in human behaviour, 
as in the behavior of all those animals that show self-direction or discretion. Human activity, in so far as it can be spoken of as conduct, can never exceed the scope of these instinctive dispositions, by initiative of which man takes action. Nothing falls within the human scheme of things, desirable to be done except what answers to these native proclivities of man. These native proclivities alone make anything worthwhile, and out of their working emerge not only the purpose and efficiency of life, but its substantial pleasures and pains as well. Latterly, the words instinct and instinctive are no longer well seen among students of those biological sciences where they once had a great vogue. Students who occupy themselves with the psychology of animal behaviour are cautiously avoiding these expressions, and in this caution they are doubtless well advised. For such use the word appears no longer to be serviceable as a technical term, It has lost the requisite sharp definition and consistency of connotation, apparently through disintegration under a more searching analysis than the phenomena comprised under this concept had previously been subjected to. In these biological sciences, Interest is centering not on the question of what activities may be set down to innate propensity or predisposition at large, but rather on the determination of the irreducible psychology and indeed physiological elements that go to make up animal behaviour. For this purpose, instinct is a concept of too lax and shifty, a definition to meet the demands of exact biological science. For the sciences that deal with the psychology of human conduct, a similarly searching analysis of the elementary facts of behaviour is doubtless similarly desirable and under such closer scrutiny of these facts, it will doubtless appear that here too, the broad term instinct is of too unprecise a character to serve the needs of an exhaustive psychological analysis. But the needs of an inquiry into the nature and causes of the growth of institutions are not precisely the same as those of such an exhaustive psychological analysis. A genetic inquiry into institutions will address itself to the growth of habits and conventions, as conditioned by the material environment and by the innate and persistent propensities of human nature, 
and for these propensities as they take effect in the give and take of cultural growth. No better designation than the time-worn instinct is available. In the light of recent inquiries and speculations, it is scarcely to be questioned that each of these distinguishable propensities may be analysed into simpler constituent elements of a quasi-tropismatic or physiological nature, but in the light of everyday experience and common notoriety, it is at the same time not to be questioned that these simple and irreducible physiological elements of human behaviour fall into composite functional groups and so make up specific and determinate propensities, proclivities, aptitudes that are within the purview of the social sciences to be handled as irreducible traits of human nature. Indeed, it would appear that it is in the particular grouping and concatenation of these ultimate psychological elements into characteristic lines of interest and propensity that the nature of man is finally to be distinguished from that of the lower animals. These various native proclivities that are so classed together as instincts have the characteristic in common that they all and several, more or less imperatively, propose an objective end of endeavour. On the other hand, what distinguishes one instinct from another is that each sets up a characteristic purpose, aim or object to be obtained different from the objective end of any other instinct. Instinctive action is teleological, consciously so, and the teleological scope and aim of each instinctive propensity differs characteristically from all the rest of us. The several instincts are teleological categories and are in colloquial usage, distinguished and classed on the ground of their teleological content. As the term is here used, therefore, and indeed as it is currently understood, the instincts are to be defined or described neither in mechanical terms of those anatomical or physiological aptitudes that causally underlie them, or that come into action as the functioning of any given instinct, nor in terms of the movements of orientation, or taxis involved in the functioning of each. The distinctive feature by the mark of which any given instinct is identified is to be found in the particular character of the purpose to which it drives. Instinct, as contradistinguished from tropismatic action, involves consciousness and adaptation to an end aimed at. 
It is, of course, not hereby intended to set up or to prescribe a definition of instinct at large, but only to indicate as closely as may be what sense is attached to the term as here used. At the same time, it is believed that this definition of the concept does violence neither to colloquial usage nor to the usage of such students as have employed the term in scientific discussion, particularly in discussion of the instinctive proclivities of mankind. But it is not to be overlooked that this definition of the term may be found inapplicable, or at least of doubtful service when applied to those simpler and more immediate impulses that are sometimes by tradition spoken of as instinctive, even in human behaviour, impulses that might with better effect be designated tropismatic. In animal behaviour, for instance, as well as in such direct and immediate impulsive human action, as is fairly to be classed with animal behaviour, it is often a matter of some perplexity to draw a line between tropismatic activity and instinct. Notoriously, The activities commonly recognised as instinctive differ widely among themselves in respect of the degree of directness or immediacy with which the given response to stimulus takes place. They range in this respect all the way from such reactions as are doubtfully to be distinguished from simple reflex action on the one hand to such as are doubtfully recognised as instinctive because of the extent to which reflection and deliberation enter into their execution on the other hand. By insensible gradation, the lower, less complex and deliberate instinctive activities merge into the class of unmistakable tropismatic sensibilities without its being practicable to determine by any secure test whether one category should be declared to end and the other to begin. Such quasi-tropismatic activities may be rated as purposeful by an observer in the sense that they are seen to further the life of the individual agent or of the species The ends of life, then, the purposes to be achieved, are assigned by man's instinctive proclivities, but the ways and means of accomplishing those things which the instinctive proclivities so make worthwhile are a matter of intelligence. It is a distinctive mark of mankind that the working out of the instinctive proclivities of the race is guided by intelligence to a degree, not approached by the other animals. But the dependence of the race on its endowment of instincts 
is no less absolute for this intervention of intelligence, since it is only by the prompting of instinct that reflection and deliberation come to be so employed, and since instinct also governs the scope and method of intelligence in all this employment of it. Men take thought, but the human spirit, that is to say the racial endowment of instinctive proclivities, decides what they shall take thought of, and how and to what effect. Yet the dependence of the scheme of life on the complement of instinctive proclivities hereby becomes less immediate, since a more or less extended logic of ways and means comes to intervene between the instinctively given end and its realisation, and the lines of relation between any given instinctive proclivity and any particular feature of human conduct are by so much the more devious and roundabout and the more difficult to trace. The higher the degree of intelligence and the larger the available body of knowledge current in any given community, the more extensive and elaborate will be the logic of ways and means interposed between these impulses and their realisation, and the multifarious and complicated will be the apparatus of expedience and resources employed to compass those ends that are instinctively worthwhile. This apparatus and ways and means available for the pursuit of whatever may be worth seeking is substantially all a matter of tradition out of the past, a legacy of habits of thought accumulated through the experience of past generations, so that the manner and in a great degree the measure in which the instinctive ends of life are worked out under any given cultural situation is somewhat closely conditioned by these elements of habit which so fall into shape as an accepted scheme of life. The instinctive proclivities are essentially simple and look directly to the attainment of some concrete objective end, but in detail the ends so sought are many and diverse, and the ways and means by which they may be sought are similarly diverse and various, involving endless recourse to expedients, adaptations, and concessive adjustment between several proclivities that are all sufficiently urgent. Under the discipline of habituation, this logic and apparatus of ways and means falls into conventional lines, acquires the consistency of custom and prescription, and so takes on an institutional character and force. The accustomed ways of doing and thinking 
not only become an habitual matter of course, easy and obvious, but they come likewise to be sanctioned by social convention, and so become right and proper, and give rise to principles of conduct. By use and want, they are incorporated into the current scheme of common sense. A elements of the approved scheme of conduct and pursuit, these conventional ways and means, take their place as proximate ends of endeavour. Whence in the further course of unremitting habituation, as the attention is habitually focused on these proximate ends, they occupy the interest to such an extent as commonly to throw their own ulterior purpose into the background and often let it be lost sight of, as may happen, for instance, in the acquisition and use of money. It follows that in much of human conduct, these proximate ends alone are present in consciousness as the object of interest and the goal of endeavour, and certain conventionally accepted ways and means come to be set up as definitive principles of what is right and good, while the ulterior purpose of it all is only called to mind occasionally, if at all, as an afterthought, by an effort of reflection. Among psychologists who have busied themselves with these questions, there has hitherto been no large measure of agreement as to the number of specific instinctive proclivities that so are native to man, nor is there any agreement as to the precise functional range and content ascribed to each. In a loose way, it is apparently taken for granted that these instincts are to be conceived as discrete and specific elements in human nature, each working out its own determinate functional content without greatly blending with or being diverted by the working of its neighbours in that spiritual complex into which they all enter as constituent elements. For the purposes of an exhaustive psychological analysis, it is doubtless expedient to make the most effective of such discreteness, as is observable among the instinctive proclivities but for an inquiry into the scope and method of their working out in the growth of institutions, it is perhaps even more to the purpose to take note of how and with what effect the several instinctive proclivities cross, blend, overlap, neutralise or reinforce one another. The most convincing genetic view of these phenomena throws the instinctive proclivities into close relation with the tropismatic sensibilities and brings them 
in the physiological respect into the same general class with the latter. If taken uncritically and in general terms, this view would seem to carry the implication that the instincts should be discreet and discontinuous among themselves somewhat after the same fashion as the tropismatic sensibilities with which they are in great measure bound up. But on closer scrutiny, such a genetic theory of the instincts does not appear to enforce the view that they are to be conceived as effectually discontinuous or mutually exclusive, though it may also not involve the contrary, that they make a continuous or ambiguously segmented body of spiritual elements. The recognised tropisms stand out, to all appearance, as sharply defined physiological traits, transmissible by inheritance, intact and unmodified, separable and unblended, in a manner suggestively like the unit characters spoken of in latter-day theories of heredity. While the instinctive sensibilities may not be explained as derivatives of the tropisms, there is enough of similarity in the working of the two to suggest that the two classes of phenomena must both be accounted for on somewhat similar physiological grounds. The simple and more narrowly defined instinctive dispositions, which have much of the appearance of immediate reflex nervous action, and automatically defined response, lend themselves passably to such an interpretation, as, for example, the gregarious instinct or the instinct of repulsion with its accompanying emotion of disgust. Such as these are shared by mankind with the other higher animals on a fairly even footing and these are relatively simple, immediate and not easily sophisticated or offset by habit. These seem patently to be of much the same nature as the tropismatic sensibilities, though even in these simpler instinctive dispositions, the characteristic quasi-tropismatic sensibility distinctiveness of each appears to be complicated with obscure stimulations of the nerve centres arising out of the functioning of one or another of the viscera. And what is true of the simpler instincts in this respect should apply to the vaguer and more complex instincts also, but with a larger allowance for a more extensive complication of visceral and organic stimuli. Whether these subconscious stimulations of the nerve centers through the functioning of the viscera are to be conceived in terms of tropismatic reaction is a different question which has a little attention hitherto. 
But in any case, whatever the expert students of these phenomena may have to say of this matter, the visceral or organic stimuli engaged in any one of the instinctive sensibilities are apparent always more than one and are usually somewhat complex. Indeed, while it seems superficially an easy matter to refer any one of the simple instincts directly to some certain one of the viscera as the main or primary source from which its appropriate stimulation comes to the nerve centres, it is by no means easy to decide what one or more of these viscera or of the other organs that are not commonly classed as viscera, will have no part in the matter. It results that, on physiological grounds, the common run of human instincts are not to be conceived as severally discrete and elementary proclivities. The same physiological processes enter in some measure though in varying proportions, into the functioning of each. In instinctive action, the individual acts as a whole, and in the conduct which emerges under the driving force of these instinctive dispositions, the part which each several instinct plays is a matter of more or less, not of exclusive direction. They must therefore incontinently touch, blend, overlap and interfere and cannot be conceived as acting each and several in sheer isolation and independence of one another. The relations of give and take among the several instinctive dispositions therefore of insculation contamination and cross-purposes are presumably slighter and of less consequence for the simpler and more apparently tropismatic impulses, while on the other hand the less specific and vaguer instinctive predispositions, such as the parental bent or the proclivity to construction or acquisition, will be so comprehensively and intricately bound in a web of correlation and interdependence will so unremittingly contaminate, offset or fortify one another and have each so large and yet so shifting a margin of common ground with all the rest, that hard and fast lines of demarcation can scarcely be drawn between them. The best that can practically be had in the way of a secure definition will be a descriptive characterization of each distinguishable propensity, together with an indication of the more salient and consequential ramifications by which each contaminates or is contaminated by the working of other propensities that go to make up that complex of instinctive dispositions that constitutes the spiritual nature of the race.
so that the schemes of definition that have hitherto been worked out are in great part to be taken as arrangements of convenience, serviceable apparatus for present use, rather than distinctions enforced at all points by an equally sharp, substantial discreteness of the facts. And that concludes tonight's reading. I hope you have enjoyed it, but not enjoyed it enough so that you don't feel drowsy. If you're not quite tired yet, please feel free to listen to another episode of the Boy to Sleep podcast. In the meantime, I'll be working on bringing another episode to you very soon. Until next time, good night.